deal. Okay, you said a fair fight. What do you mean by that? As provided by the law. Thunderdome. Minute where the dice are rolling in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 24, which begins with Max concluding that Blaster can be disabled by the bosun's whistle, and it ends with Auntie showing off her fighting arena. He wants his camels, his vehicle, food, water, and methane. It's George Hendricks from the Mogwai Minute. You better give me all of my methane. <laughs> we'll give you everything and more as long as you do this one thing for us. Namely, just finish out your recording with us this week, and then we'll be good. We won't even require you to kill someone. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate not having to murder anyone to be on this podcast. Oh, we appreciate you spending the week with us. The barrier for entry is lower than others, but uh, it's still, it's nice. It's it's relaxing. We're inclusive. Yeah, there are <laughs> other podcasts. I'm thinking of the fifth element where... <sighs> appearing on their show meant that you were promptly murdered and stuffed underneath their couch, but I think everyone got better. They were having a good time figuring out ways to dispose of my body, that's for sure. <laughs> Although I was so drunk by the time we finished that recording that they could have literally just taken my kidneys and left me in a bathtub and I would not have noticed it. See, the problem with taking kidneys is you got to fill the bathtub with ice and that's just a hassle. It's like, why are you buying so much ice? And they're like, having a party. <laughs> it's a kidney party. <laughs> What's really sad is when the guy you're buying ice from knows you so well that you say, oh yeah, I'm throwing a party, and he looks at you and says, yeah, I know you don't have any friends. What's really going on? <laughs> or he asks, why can't I come? I'm like, we'll get you next week. How's that? <laughs> you're like, I'm sorry, dude. You work so much. I can't just work around it. Oh, it can be painful sometimes. Almost as painful as being locked inside of a giant metal helmet and having some jagoff blow a whistle in your face, which is exactly what's happening to Blaster at the top of this minute. Now, I would dare say that this whistle that Max is blowing is actually more effective than the car alarm. I'd say so, yeah. Because with the car alarm, Blaster was thrashing around and he was running into things and knocking up against stuff. With the bosun's whistle, he actually curls up in like a fetal position on the ground. He just kind of kneels down and doubles over. And I'm not quite sure if it's just the fact that he was subjected to the alarm and then the whistle, or if it's just the whistle. Right, if it's a duration thing. Maybe it is a carryover effect, yeah. I think you said on Wednesday that the decibel level of the whistle was slightly below the decibel level of the alarm, but the pitch was higher. Yeah, I think that's why the pitch comes into play, because he's maybe he does have really sensitive ears or his, you know, his stapes and anvil and stirrup or whatever are like not um properly formed and so maybe he just doesn't have eardrums maybe there's a big difference between a car alarm that's meant to be heard across a parking lot and can be easily blocked out by closing a window or shutting a door and then there's the bosun's whistle which is specifically designed to be heard over the blowing winds and gales of a ocean storm or even the roaring cannons of battle like it's specifically tuned for naval utilization that way so there's definitely something special about that whistle yeah it's like a dog whistle though it's like it's, it's a high pitch noise that only dogs can hear and it freaks them out and you know drives them nuts so i know better than to pull out the whistle that i have and blow it here on the podcast i don't want to top out the recording that would be a little 
ridiculous of me to do. Like, I'm peeking a little on my end over here. Uh. <laughs> so, like I said back on Wednesday, Max subjects Blaster to roughly 10 seconds of whistle and completely reduces him to a cowering mess. And because we're seeing Max come to this realization that this whistle can disable Blaster, I feel like this is appropriate time to ask, is using this whistle considered cheating? Oh, you want to talk about it now? I want to touch on it now. We can definitely discuss it later on in the fight itself, because we'll be in a completely different place. But I do want to bring it up right now. So, George, we'll start with you. Do you think Max using this whistle in the upcoming fight is considered cheating? Not to plug any of my future podcast projects, but this is like a no-holds-barred situation. I mean, this is just, you know, everyone can do what they have to do to survive. I mean, it's not just the the game itself. It's not the competition. It's the world they live in. So I feel that any sort of edge is is an edge. So I don't feel like it's 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 against the rules. He could have gone into the fight without knowing about it just as easily, and um, the ending would have been a lot different. Now, Julia, I think you have pretty strong opinion about this whistle. I do. At the very end of this minute, Auntie makes a comment. She's introducing Max to the idea of Thunderdome. She says... Two men, hand-to-hand, no jury, no appeal. So she specifies hand-to-hand, which, first of all, is inaccurate. It's not hand-to-hand. There are weapons available. But the very concept is that they go in there on equal footing. And the only advantage that one may find above the other is what weapon, what provided weapon they can get to and use against their opponent. They are provided the weapons that they are allowed to use. And they each have equal access to those weapons. But equal footing isn't, is there? There's already no parody because Max is Max and, you know, Blaster is like this seven foot armored behemoth, muscular, you know, beast guy who doesn't really know anything but savagery and beatdown. They're not really like on like the same playing field. Yeah, the thing that makes me think that the whistle is not cheating is the fact that A, Blaster is huge and has much more reach than Max, but also Blaster is wearing a helmet. He is wearing literal armor. Like Max is wearing his jacket and his pants and his boots and whatnot. He's not protected at all around the face. And if Max goes in to punch Blaster in the face, he's going to connect with the helmet. And that's all that's going to happen. If Blaster goes in to punch Max in the face, suddenly he's not going to have a face anymore. Right. Okay. Well, I do think that Max should have been given armor. I think either Max should have been given armor or Blaster's armor should have been taken away from him. But making up for their difference in physical abilities, I don't think that that's a very strong argument Max knew that Blaster was the size and strength that he is going in. And that's, those are natural abilities. Not anything that anyone gave to him. It's not supplemental. Those are his natural abilities. And yes, Max's cunning and cleverness are his natural abilities. And that is what he uses. But he also uses an outside tool to accomplish those things. He should have used his own natural abilities of cunning and cleverness to outwit Blaster at the same time that Blaster was out punching (laughs) Max. Yeah. So they should have gone in there with only their natural abilities and the weapons provided to them. I will give you that Blaster's armor was a form of cheating. I don't think he should have gone in there with armor. And I think the whistle was a form of cheating. But one cheating does not cancel out another cheating. <laughs> Actually, if they both are by just dint of who they are, you know, Max is clever. He is strong. You know, that is putting them on the same level. And another thing is like the whistle is not exactly like a like a sure thing. Obviously, it does incapacitate him. But without it, as we see later, and like if he doesn't have it, he is absolutely a, a creek. 
And so it's not like, a, you know, it's like he blows it once and like his, his brain explodes and he is, okay, I win. Haha, <laughs> walk away. I feel that was a bit more of, that would be more of a, if it was a bit more detrimental to his physical being, it would, it would be more of a cheat. But this is more like a, an inconvenience. And because he is like, you know, maybe a little bit more unable to process emotionally pain that happens to him, then he is probably at a disadvantage when it comes to this. But I just don't think it's cheating. It's just an unexpected boon as far as finding something to use against him. Max is definitely using a loophole. Yeah, almost like the fun little chant of two men enter, one man leaves just presents a whole bunch of loopholes and gaps in rulemaking. Yeah, Auntie and the Collector like to behave like this place is governed by the rule of law. <laughs> ah, I, I don't know about that. Law <laughs> is only a law if it's being upheld by people that care about it. I mean, that's just how it is. And and they, this law is there to like give like a baseline, but they interpret the laws as they see fit based on the situation. And there's all sorts of different ways to interpret the law. And their laws are so simple, you know, break a deal, face the wheel and two men enter, one man leaves. There's a reason that our laws here in America are so complicated because they are trying to close loopholes and make sure that we know what we're supposed to do in every single situation so that things like Thunderdome don't happen. <laughs> Maybe we need a Thunderdome. Maybe we do. I mean, Bartertown does seem to be relatively peaceful. Yeah. It's going back to when we had Molly Balin on the show and we were talking about how someone needed to pick up a book about governing somewhere along the way. Right, just a social studies textbook. When people fled the cities, <laughs> yeah. they forgot to take the books. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Civics 101. It's like, oh, we need to buy cameral, just, okay, like judicial and, okay, wow, that's that's more than we have. <laughs> I think maybe their laws are just too simple. Yeah, that's fair. So it gives us the opportunity for us to see the outcomes in different ways and consequently value the outcome in different ways. Like, I don't really value the outcome of Thunderdome because I think that Max cheated, but other people... See the violence inherent in the system. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> But other people see it as completely fair because Max used the tools at his disposal. Mm -hmm. It's just too subjective. But in the meantime, Max has seen all that he needs to see and he stops blowing the whistle and Blaster is able to collect himself. And it's here that we see Blaster turn to find Master who has just fallen on his back and he picks up Master and the two just kind of walk away. And as they walk past the vehicle, it's revealed that Max has slipped out. He is not hanging around to rub elbows with the denizens of Underworld. He's seen all he needs to see and found out what he needs to find out. And so now he's just hiding off in the shadows. Yes, I think there's a very real danger that he could end up with one of those thingy-majiggers around his neck just for the very fact that he stood up to Master Blaster, even though eventually he caved and in a very dramatic way was shown how things work. Yeah. He could still end up doing time. Although he's not able to slip out completely unnoticed. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Max is slipping away to save his own life. And there's Pig Killer with his loud voice and his asking questions, just making it incredibly obvious where Max is. Hey kids, uh, don't be that guy. Don't be Pig Killer. For a guy who's chained to the ceiling, he is surprisingly quiet and deft at sneaking up on Max. Because Max turns and then boom, there's Pig Killer right there in his face. Yeah. 
Pigkiller does always seem to be almost not in the thick of it, but right next to the thick of it. Yeah. He always seems to be just on the edge observing what's going on, which is, as somebody who's nosy, that's where I would be. Yeah. I don't need to be in the thick of it. I don't need to be part of the drama, but I want to know what's going on. Now, did you two catch that initial question that Pigkiller had for Max? Do you want me to kill a pig for you? <laughs> he said, hey, mister, what are you laying for? And I don't think I've ever heard that phrase outside of this movie. What are you laying for? Did you Google it? I didn't Google it. I just kind of read the context. And I think when you ask someone, what are you laying for? It's more or less the same as asking, what are you down here working for? You think of the term layman. A layman is someone who's an unprofessional oh. worker. Okay. I was thinking of like laying eggs. <laughs> As like doing You being a chicken, mister. <laughs> you being a chicken. You laying. What are you laying for? I mean, they're both forms of work, so I guess it applies. That's not the direction I was going with it, but I <laughs> see where you're coming from. <laughs> <laughs> or, I mean, it could have just been a misspo misspoke. He's just like, oh, that sounds weird, but sure, whatever, whatever, it's fine. Whatever. Yeah. Hey, Australian listeners, what are you laying for? Is that a common phrase? Am I, am I speaking out of term? Am I just being my dumb American self? Let me know. Like, let us know on either the listener page or on Twitter or something like that. I'm, I'm interested. So let me know. Next time on Dumb American Minute. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, basically. Uh, yeah, it's. I always <laughs> chuckle to myself that, you know, we're a bunch of Americans talking about something made by and filmed in Australia. But we love it, so we have that going for us, at least. Yeah. Max is not interested in engaging the pig killer in this line of questioning. He tells him very plainly that he's down there for no particular reason. Pig killer asks, who are you? And Max immediately says, nobody. And it's a shame that pig killer wasn't listening in because Max already identified himself to Master Blaster. And not just saying, me, Max. He also said very plainly that he is a fairy princess, <laughs> which I think is a completely under utilized piece of lore that explains a lot about the Mad Max series but I think I've gone into that beforehand suffice it to say there's a reason that he gets younger in Fury Road it's because he's a fairy princess that's true that's, <laughs> um, yeah and the only way you can kill a fairy is by saying that you don't believe in fairies. <laughs> Beyond Titania Dome. Exactly. So Pig Killer, still very excited about Max's presence. He rejects the idea that Max is nobody, saying that he can feel that something is coming. He says the dice are rolling and Max gets out of there real quick. Pig Killer, he's a very interesting character. He concerns me. I totally get and I, I totally understand this feeling that he has that things are changing. The dice are rolling. Who says they're going to change for the better? Sometimes change is just what you need. By the end of this movie, though, most people in Bartertown, their lives are going to change for the worse. There's only a handful of people whose life changes for the better. Now, Pig Killer is one of them. But that was just lucky happenstance. We'll argue this when we get to the end of the movie, but I feel like when Auntie says we will rebuild, I think she fully believes that. And yes, Bartertown experiences a major setback and things appear to be blowing up around town and people are running around crazy screaming and all that stuff. But I believe that they can rebuild, that they will find alternatives yeah, eventually they might be in a better place, but by the end of this movie, they are not in a better place. They are in a worse position than they were in the beginning. You're not wrong. No, I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm not. 
We go immediately from Underworld up to Auntie's penthouse where Max has arrived and he's come up the elevator and he's walking through the drapes. But before we get to Max and Auntie and all that, the collector is standing next to something and I'm pretty sure it's a cage. Did you see what was in the cage? No. It looked like it was set up for some kind of reptile, you know, like branches Mm-hmm. and stuff placed in there. So I'm guessing it's a snake of some kind or something like that. But the collector is watching it intently. I want to say that it was some kind of lizard because I think I saw like a leg, or maybe a tail. Okay. George, did you see anything? It's an iguana. I mean, not in the cage. I'm actually scrolling through it and I don't, I don't actually see like an animal in there. But you know. It's very dark. Maybe it's a chameleon. That's why you can't see it. But it's interesting because most wastelanders, when they have pets, you know, it's a dog or a horse or something. The gyro captain had a snake. Well, he had several snakes. I just don't quite see the benefit to having a lizard. Although when we eventually talk about the Vertigo comics, I mean, there's a lizard that plays a pretty big feature part in those comics, but that's a completely different thing. But it is, it's interesting to me that Auntie has a pet. Well, I think having animal companionship is very human. It's something that endures even through the apocalypse. Do you think she's named it? Yes. What do you think she named it? E lizard breath. <laughs> Yes. That's funny because I was going to go with Ike. (laughs) (laughs) George's answer better. (laughs) Lizard Biff. My answer is simply the best. better than all the rest yep yeah (laughs) so anyway getting back to the the actual content oh yeah yeah okay okay iron bar pushes his way through the drapes and max follows very quickly after and he wastes zero time he is not into pleasantries or anything like that he just barges in he says i want my camels my vehicle food water and methane and auntie spits in her hand Max spits in his hand and they clasp those hands together and she says, deal. And (laughs) this is a spit-based economy. Yeah, to the point. I like it. Um, I like it too. I like how snappy and quick it is. Uh, I do have a little problem with it. Max doesn't clarify what is meant by a fair fight, which is a huge part of this deal, until after he's made the deal. Yeah. He should have asked that question before he made the deal. It's a fair point, but at the same time, you know, he's under pressure. He he was just very upfront about the whole, like, he's getting what he's going to ask for. He's like, all right, uh, maybe he's sort of like, all right, this is what I want. And she's like, got it. He's like, okay, now what am I doing again? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) There's another instance that kind of points out that he wasn't really listening as closely as he could have when they listed out the different stipulations of this deal. Yeah, maybe he should have asked about the fair fight before he even went down to Underworld. Yeah, that would be real big kick in the pants if he gets back up to Auntie's penthouse and she says, yeah, it's a fair fight. We're going to strip you down to your skivvies and throw you in there with nothing. Yeah. He'd be like, oh no, where am I going to hide that whistle? <laughs> in his skivvies. I mean, he's Mad Max. He'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> the only problem is if he's a little gassy, they'll find it. <laughs> They'd call him Mad Max the teapot at that point. Mm-hmm. Yep. It would still disable Absolutely. Blaster. <laughs> Just for really quickly, though, he would have to... Yeah, that I just don't envision that the scenario where that could be a, a viable option is pleasant for anyone. 
Yeah, I doubt Max is getting enough fiber in his diet to make that an effective disabling method. All right, I'll fight in the Thunderdome in my skivvies, but I need to eat a can of beans first. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, like I'm going to call it the Thunderdome in more than ways than one. (laughs) Oh, and so Max is having this conversation with Auntie saying, okay, you said a fair fight. What do you mean by that? And the collector just creeps up behind Max and pipes in with, as provided by the law. And it's like, dude, collector, stop creeping up behind people like that. It's weird. He is pretty creepy. He's so weird. But as weird as the collector is, Auntie is, oh, she has an opportunity to show off more of Bartertown and she loves nothing more than to show off Bartertown because she motions with her hand and she says, Thunderdome. Auntie is rather proud of this technological terror she's constructed, that's for sure. <laughs> she really wants us to know who runs Bartertown. Mm-hmm. Contrary to evidence past, I mean, she's like, I run, I run Bartertown. I run Bartertown. <laughs> it's here that she mentions the whole two men, hand-to-hand, no jury, no appeal. And I thought about that whole thing. She says, no jury. And I thought, well, how would you incorporate a jury into a two-man death fight? And then I thought, oh, not so much a jury, but maybe like a judge's panel? Yeah. So the fight is going on, and then every round of fighting, they stop and the judges deliver their ranking of how each fighter is doing. Like they hold up the cards like the Olympics. And in between rounds, a girl walks around in a metal bikini and waves up a sign. Yeah. And if you're doing really well in the fight, you get a buff. And if you are not doing well in the fight, they like penalize you in some way. And If the specters like you, they can lower down a sword or a chainsaw to you for yeah. you to use. Yeah. We could go full on Hunger Games with this. Yeah. Or a pot of ointment for your burns. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, obviously there would be no appeal if it is a fight to the death, as the collector said earlier in this movie. I don't think you can really put in an appeal for having died in combat. Well, thinking ahead to the fight that we do see, there is a bit of an appeal phase. Yeah, or at least there's one that Max tries to initiate. (laughs) Yes, and then Master comes in and appeals on behalf of Blaster. And there's also a little bit can be interpreted as a jury phase where the people begin to chant two men enter, one man leaves, insisting, passing down a verdict that Max must kill Blaster. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because it's just another example of Max being told in no uncertain terms, okay, this is a rule, and then him getting to a point in this movie where he's like, I know I heard that was a rule, but I don't want to follow that rule. I think I actually want an appeal after all. Yeah, so she lists four rules. There are two men, they fight hand to hand, there's no jury, there's no appeal. The fight that ensues breaks all four rules. Because eventually there are three men. Yes. There are weapons involved. Yes. The jury is the crowd chanting to kill, and two men enter, one may leave. And then, of course, both combatants have a sort of appeal to not have to finish the fight. Yeah. Man. They can just, like, not fight, and they get killed, and they're they're choosing to not finish. This whole thing, you think, you know, with all the fun slogans... That it's rock solid. And then Mel Gibson shows up and that just monkey wrench gets thrown in the works. Yeah. Ain't that just the way of things? So it's baby blues. Sometimes PR just, you know, 
That's not what you need. You need logistics. You need real things. You know what would have really helped Auntie to make sure that Max kills Master Blaster? The musical number. Yes. If Auntie had found a way for Master Blaster to mess with Mel Gibson's family, because that's the number one way to sign a character's death warrant in a Mel Gibson movie. If they mess with his family in any way, he hunts them down and he destroys them utterly. <laughs> He's not a fan of the family messing. I don't. I don't blame him. But I mean, he does definitely take it to the take it to the limit. It reminds me back when we. We were talking about Max first going into the penthouse, how cool it would have been if they had had a weird Jesse has amnesia and survived getting run over type storyline. Mm-hmm. Because then Auntie could have done the villain thing and caused Master Blaster to mess with the amnesiatic Jesse slash Jesse lookalike, and that would have spurred Max to kill. Yes. Yes, oh. it would have. And why wasn't I a screen reader like four years ago? <laughs> <laughs> before you were even born i know i know i need to build a time just machine. like your hand sticking out as you're gestating you know just <laughs> scribbling away you're like george miller i'm from the future you need to let me help you write this story <laughs> do you still have joanne samuel's phone number <laughs> no i'm sure there are some people that hated me bringing up that idea the first time around, and they're hating me bringing it up this second time around, too. You had so many angry letters from legal. Because <laughs> they have to deal with all those people. <sighs> I want to know if Tina Turner's affected British accent that she just, out of the blue, d d developed in life, and then, you know, translated into all of her other things. You run ball to town, you know, that sort of thing. If that directly influenced Madonna's doing that later down the road. <laughs> I'm going to say yes. Because I feel like if anyone who would have, you know, affected Madonna's choice to do something, you probably would be Tina Turner. I mean, it makes sense. I find it funny that you kind of heard a British style affectation because I kind of heard more of a like Southern style of speak when she mentioned the whole you run martyr town. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because of all of the accent dialects in America, the closest to traditional British would be the Southern Southeast. There's a bit of an overlap there. Yeah. And Tina Turner's from Tennessee. I'm going to look it up real quick. I do. That extends past my knowledge of Tina Turner. Tennessee? Oh, I was right. Tennessee. T -t Tennessee. So she was born with that type of southern accent. Yeah, I think it just sort of slowly morphed into the southern um, yeah. British thing going on. Although Madonna has no excuse because she's from like New Jersey, New York, something like that. She's Long Island. <laughs> Madonna is just, we're talking to you. We're calling you out, Madonna. <laughs> if she's listening, she'll know. Come on the show. Come on the show and we'll talk about right. it. Right. <laughs> but only if you do it in an Australian accent. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at this point, it's probably morphed to that, I'm sure. Madonna, if you're listening, just send us an email. I would say have your people call our people, but we don't have people. It's just us. So <laughs> have your people send us an email. That, that'll work out. As the Mad Max Minute legal representation, I will say send me your emails and I will refer to them. <laughs> Speaking of accents, we get a good couple of lines from Max in this minute. We get to hear his accent pretty well, and it is barely Australian. <laughs> barely Australian. I think he's starting to he's starting to lose it. It makes me wonder if he was putting it on for previous movies because he he doesn't speak in an Australian accent now. Far from it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think those first couple of movies that was the accent that he was still using from his time growing up in Australia. Yes. 
And by the time 1985's rolling around, he's doing a lot more American features, and so he's spending a lot more time in America. And I can't be the only one that when I have someone speaking with an accent around me that I tend to slip into that accent, for better or worse. Yeah. Uh, no, I do that all the time, and I try to fight it because I feel like it can be offensive sometimes, so... Yeah. Uh, yeah, Rick. I can sympathize. <laughs> I find it really tricky to go into convenience stores sometimes. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> yeah i'm trying to work on it <laughs> yeah and also this movie there's no consistent accent throughout the characters they're all just talking like they talk mm-hmm. yeah tina turner's like american tina turner. southern there's no australian accent coming from tina no turner. and the collector is just british and the Pig Killer doesn't really have an accent, does he? He's Australian. Australian? Okay. Yeah, Pig Killer and Iron Bar, you know, those guys, they're dyed in the wool Australian. Okay. So, out of anybody in this movie, at least them. Yeah. And if I remember correctly, Savannah has a pretty thick accent. Yeah. Although, say, we we'll get to that, because I... Yeah, I we haven't remember. met her yet, so... <laughs> yeah. That's a whole other so I think in this movie, really, people just got to talk how they talk. Mm-hmm. And for Mel, that was pretty mild. Yeah. We're going to put a pin in everything at this point. We've reached the end of the minute. Auntie is mid-sentence, so we're going to pick up with what she has to say on Monday. George, it has been great having you on. Thanks for having me. It's been fantastic. You've been a great guest. Would you like to tell the people where they should go to find more of you? Find me and my co-host, Neil, arguing about all sorts of things on the Mogwai Minute. It's on any of your podcatchers, uh, Apple Podcasts or Google Play. So, you know, yeah, and we have a good time. You should come check us out. We do this, but with gremlins. Yeah, if you're a fan of Christmas movies that are not Christmas movies. Which I am quite a bit, <laughs> yes. You can go check them out there. As for us, if you want more of our voices, we, of course, have our weekend show through Patreon. You go on there at the $3 level. You can listen to our sideshow, Anarchy Road, where we are thundering our way through Hook five minutes at a time. We are on week eight this week, where we follow the second star to the right and head straight on till morning. Peter is able to pick up some pointers on how to blend in with his surroundings. And it's a Smee, played by Bob Hoskins, who parades a hook through town. It's another Christmas movie that's not a Christmas movie. Yep. It's in good company. It is. <laughs> right there with Die Hard. Oh, Die Hard's so good. So if you join us on our Patreon, we'll see you tomorrow. If you are just joining us for the main show, we'll see you on Monday. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. And our outro music is We Don't Need Another Hero by MilitiaVox of MilitiaVox.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for Mad Max Minute, and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com where you can check out our Tee Public storefront by clicking the store link join our patreon by clicking the support link or make a one-time donation by clicking the donate link thank you for joining us for minute 24 beyond thunderdome see you next time Everybody say-